old Presbyterian pulpit up on the steps. <laughs> well, as Josh said, I'm Don Walker, and um, my wife and I worship at the 4.30 service here on Sundays, and uh, then we have uh, worship uh, <clears throat> the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month up in our Bexley church, and then the other first, third and fifth Wednesday is our Bible studies. So that's where I hang out and we've got some of our folk here all gathered in the clump there, <laughs> half a dozen or so, who come to the morning service here. So that's, that's lovely. So uh, welcome and uh, may I say a Happy New Year for you for tomorrow. And... Uh, We'll just add a one to our age, I think. Well, um, I'll ask Rebecca if she can put up a, a, a picture up there because um, I'm going to touch a little bit on self-esteem. And uh, this poor person had a personality test and it was negative. And uh, sometimes our self-esteem can be a little bit low, can't it? So let's pray. Our Father, we pray that um, my meditations on this passage would be acceptable to you because you are my rock and my redeemer. And indeed, Lord, that uh, each of us would just get that something to help us grow in our Christian lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I shall try and lift this up. Uh, Phil Colgan reminded us on Vision Sunday about the number of Christian people who have gone from our midst to serve the Lord Jesus in cross-cultural ministry. And we talk about the call of God on the lives of these people. We've got Lama going out to Southeast Asia soon and we'll hear more about how God has called him to that ministry in the coming months. And wow, Saint to Lama sounds good, doesn't it? You know, if you've turned away from your sin, if you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and what he's done on the cross, as your Lord, you are a saint, a holy one. For it means, that word means that God has set you apart for his gospel, for special purposes in this world, and he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. Saint Susie, not, not San Susie, Saint who? Saint Josh? Or even Saint Frank? You know, we should pass around a piece of paper around our Bexley North congregations with, a, with, a, a, a lot, with everyone's name and on the bottom it says, you know, all the saints, uh, insert your name here. And if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, not only are you a saint, the scripture tells us you're a priest and part of a spiritual house and can offer spiritual sacrifices to God through your relationship with Jesus. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy or saintly nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. And so, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called. 
So what ministry has God called you to? I can hear the whispers in the background saying, no, God hasn't called me. I haven't been called. I'm not adequate enough. I'm not capable for that sort of thing. But, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about going out to the overseas mission field, an exotic place. I'm talking about ministry here in our culture, and it's about the ministry of preaching the gospel. And we have a call to ministry. Now, I'm going to, when I read, I'm used to the NIV in this particular passage. So if you've got the Holmans, then you can follow on. But the quotes I'm giving are usually from the NIV. Paul says in verse 12 of chapter 2, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, the Lord opened a door for me. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus. But I said goodbye to them and I left for Macedonia. Paul went to Troas, which is in modern Turkey, to preach the gospel of Christ. The door had opened a, a door for him. Paul states he had a purposeful ministry among the people in that area, but he did not feel settled in his heart. Why? Simply because he could not find the guy who'd been mentoring Titus. Titus was being mentored by Paul, and you can, you can see that in the book of Titus that Paul wrote to Titus. So, Mentoring Titus for his role in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ was more important to Paul than attending to the wide open ministry, he said, I've got in Troas. So Paul upstumps and he goes to Macedonia to find Titus. And so what do we learn about ministry here? Well, encouraging each other, encouraging each other in sound doctrine is more important than preaching the gospel to the unconverted. To go into the world to preach the gospel is an important command of Jesus for each of us. But remember, he nurtured his disciples for three years to equip them for that task. And also Paul, because of his history as a persecutor of Christians, he was ostracized by the early Christian leaders. It was the apostle Barnabas who chased him up and who mentored him. In Acts 11.25 we read, Then he, Barnabas, went to Tarsus, and Tarsus was Paul's hometown. Titus went to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. Paul was mentored by Barnabas. And Paul's own commendation to the Thessalonians in chapter 1 verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage each other and build each other up. Then in in verse 14, we see that ministry is a fragrance of Christ. But thanks be to God who always puts us on display in Christ and through us, spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place, for to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some we are the aroma of death leading to death, but to others an aroma of life leading to life. 
And Paul is thanking God. What for? For being put on public display. He's painting for us a picture of one of the most spectacular and important celebrations in the Roman Empire called the Triumph. Now, the Triumph was essentially a military parade and in honour of a victorious general. They would march through the heart of Rome. Picture North Korea or Russia in their May Day parades. A magnificent display of the might of the empire. But it's really just a celebration of an adulation of the leader. And in this picture there would be a victorious army marching but there would also be people in that march who had been captured during a conflict where the victims would be pointed to and teased and laughed at and many of them would end up being executed. And I found references to fragrance in such a procession. Appian of Alexandria at the turn of the first century described just such a procession. He said, Next came a large number of incense burners and that just after the fragrances, the general himself on the chariot inscribed with various designs wreathed in gold and precious stones. And there was another guy, Dionysius, who wrote, people were taking care of the incense censers in which aromatic herbs and frankincense were burned to produce fragrant smoke along the whole route. So if you look at verse 14... It's because that Christ is leading the procession of triumph that Paul gives thanks. And Paul identifies Christ with being a victorious general. And who are we in this picture? But where these people wave the incense around, spreading the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. So to the victors of war, The smell of the incense rose up and it was a beautiful smell. However, to the captives, it was the smell of death. It meant the loss of hope, the loss of life, for the fragrance was the smell of death. And you and I are not responsible for the way someone responds to the gospel of Christ. We are the ones who are to share it because the scripture here says through us, spreads the knowledge of the, the, the aroma of the knowledge of Christ. So have you ever noticed over the years how when you go and buy some roses, as men do every week for their wives, <clears throat> you'll notice if you smell them, they don't smell much. I've just grafted a couple, or not grafted, or tried a few cuttings of the rose that's got a beautiful smell at my place because... Roses don't have that smell so much. And why is that? Well, today's roses are focused heavily on disease resistance, which is a good thing. But they're easier to grow. They use less chemicals and they're more rewarding all around. And the problem is that the gene in the roses that they're they're stopping also carries the smell uh, gene. And so we don't get that smell So basically, such a rose doesn't smell like a rose. It's a profit-driven rose. It's for commercial success. If you look at some of the churches in our world today, there's churches who are promising economic and uh, spiritual rewards. But the fragrance of Christ is quite often missing. 
and the focus is much more on marketing spiritual gifts and hoping to be blessed by wealth rather than holding out the gospel of life which Jesus taught. And our message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and our motives in sharing the gospel should emerge from the awe that we have or fear sometimes it's said. The awe that we have for God, that should be our motive. Michael W. Smith sings a song and we've probably sung it here before too. Our God is an awesome God in the true sense of the word. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power and love. Our God is an awesome God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes in verse 11, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord or recognize God as being awesome. We try to persuade others. What we are, what we are is plain to God. And I hope it's also plain to your conscience too. We are to be transparent in our faith. What we are is plain to God, says Paul, and he also says that he wishes that the Corinthians could see his sincerity. And who is competent for such a ministry of the gospel? Verse 16, the second part of verse 16, who's competent for it or adequate for it? For we are not like many who market God's message for profit. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ, as from God and before God. Now, the Holman's doesn't use the word sincerity, but the NIV does. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ, as from God and before God. The uh, the Good News Bible puts it this way, who then is capable for such a task? The J.B. Phillips translation says, who could think himself adequate for such a responsibility as this? Feeling not good enough, is something that everyone experiences at one point or another, like being told that we don't have a personality. In today's culture, in the secular world, we see the message of inadequacy coming through to us all the time. We're challenged to come uh, to compare how we look, whether we've got flawless skin or have the right shaped body, or like me, you know, a pack of Abs or whatever, six-pack, six-pack, that's what I was trying to think of. We see people like Taylor Swift, who has fame and beauty and power and wealth and the devastating effect that this has on other people of all ages. This can also be in Christian circles as we look around and we see people who have got it all together and we can feel inadequate. And I believe that most people at some time during their life struggle to feel good about themselves. What about you? Do you wonder if you're good enough for God to use? Do you question whether you're competent or adequate enough? We're bombarded daily with messages that teach us that living for oneself and, being, and feeling good about yourself is the most important thing in life. If we appear to have it all together, that will not bring people into our fellowship because we're all flawed people. For you and I are are to be the fragrance of life. We are to acknowledge that our God is an awesome God in the full sense of the word 
and follow Christ in sincerity. I looked up the word sincerity in an English thesaurus and found it means integrity, wholeheartedness, genuineness, honesty, trustworthiness. So I then went to a Greek lexicon to find out what it really meant and found that the English word sincerity comes from two Greek words. It comes from the word son and it comes from the word to judge. And the whole sense is that if it's sincere, you hold it up to the light to see if it's true, to see if it's genuine. That's what we need to do with our lives, to look at Christ's life and compare it with our own life. Are we genuine? So competency for ministry, in chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, it's, it's about being weak. It's about weakness. Paul wants to ensure the Corinthians see no mixed motives in him. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, recognised and read by everyone. It is clear that you are Christ's letter, produced by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on stone tablets, but on tablets of the hearts of flesh. A secular therapist uh, said this, we may see other people as happy, successful, empowered and good and when we compare this image with our own perceived failings, we feel inadequate. In reality, we have no idea what really goes on in most other people's lives and minds and we, over, we often overlook our own strengths and successes So such comparisons are bound to do more harm than good. Our own strengths and successes. How does Paul assess success in ministry? When pastoring in Wesley Mission, there was a push to use key performance indicators, KPIs. I'm sure a lot of you know about those. But every system such as that failed because you cannot quantify ministry You might spend hours in chaplaincy but be unable to say whether that time was successful or not. Ministry cannot be measured by ticking spiritual milestones to gauge progress. In verses 2 and 3, Paul tells us the purpose of Christian ministry is to see the love of Christ written on a person's heart. And the change in that life can be evident to all. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.19, Paul says about the Thessalonians, he says, who are, who are my joy and my crown? Is it not you, you people who have come to know Christ? Ministry is not about keeping a score. It's about the change Christ brings to a person's life. There's an old song, and if you're over 70 like me, you might know it. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have light in my soul for which long I had sought since Jesus came into my heart. Paul tells us here that we may be a catalyst in seeing someone come to Christ, but the result is through the spirit of the living God. 
Paul had already told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Romans 12.3 sort of balances the sense we may have of inadequacy with letting us know that there is no place to consider that we are better than other Christians, whether considering appearance, status, education, or whatever. Paul says in Romans 12, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. In thinking about the time that um, we lived in Liberia, the biggest testimony to the town from among those who come to Jesus was a man who took the family's dirty washing down to the waterside and he washed those clothes. This was considered to be women's work. What, would, what that Christian did was unheard of in that culture. He was showing love to his wife and got laughed at for his efforts. However, the emerging church in that town appointed that same man as leader when the elders of the town considered him a weakling. And that man said to me once, he said, you know, the only difference between you and me is that you have known God longer. And that's what Christianity ministry is all about, mentoring in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul talks about his trials, he tells the same Corinthians in verse 29, who is weak and I am not weak. If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. And Paul went to Damascus, you'll remember, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he met Jesus on the road. And we read, but Saul grew more capable and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this one is the Messiah. Do you remember how Paul left Damascus? He went to Damascus breathing threats and in all his probably pomp and ceremony. But when he left Damascus, it was certainly not the same way. He had become capable, he had become adequate and competent in telling others about Jesus Christ It was no longer about him anymore. In 2 Corinthians 11, he tells us how he left Damascus. He says, in Damascus, the governor under the king guarded the city in order to arrest me. So I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. And tongue-in-cheek, we could say it was a basket case compared to his arrival. The historian, Dr. Luke, in his history of the early church, tells us a few details about that departure. He says, in chapter 9 of Acts, the Jews conspired to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, so they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in the large basket through an opening in the wall. Lowered through a crack in the wall. It was a weakness that Paul boasted. For you will recall that God said to him in a, a few chapters later in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power 
may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And a little later in that chapter, Paul says of his weakness that everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening, not mine. For your strengthening, not mine. Paul says he is made competent to share the gospel when he perceives himself to be weak. Weakness becomes God's channel for the proclamation of the gospel. We fight against being seen as being weak, as flawed people in the world we live in. Paul was lowered in a large basket through an opening in the Damascus wall. Now I called it a crack in the wall because I was thinking of uh, the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 which says, verse 7, Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are pressured on every side but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death because of Jesus so that Jesus' life may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. Those verses tell us that the power of the gospel comes from God and not from us. We are not to appear as beautiful, unflawed, decorated pieces of pottery put on display in our society, appearing to have it all together. We are to proclaim the treasure of the gospel through our frailties, through the cracks in our lives, through our weaknesses, the cracks, as it were, appearing in terracotta clay jars. Our bodies, who we really are, not as we wish to be seen by another, for God's power is released in our weakness. Verse 4 tells us we have this kind of confidence towards God through Christ to show that our weakness, that this extraordinary power given to us as followers of Christ to show the truth of the gospel to others, that it may be from God and not from us. Consider Joseph, the technicolor dream coat guy. He was asked to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. His confidence was in God, not in his own ability. He We read in Genesis 41, verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said about you that you hear a dream and you can interpret it. And Joseph said, I am not able to. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Our identity is in Christ. In Romans 12, we're told in the first couple of verses, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that God will find acceptable. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know what God's will for you is, for it is a good and pleasing and perfect will. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. 
We are many parts of one body and we all belong together. In his grace, Paul says, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. We are different. We have different gifts, different abilities. We have different strengths and different weaknesses. In our passage today, we're told that in our inadequacy, God can use us for his glory as we submit our whole being to his service, to do his well, will well. To do his will well. So our adequacy for ministry comes from God. We have this kind of confidence towards God through Christ, Paul says. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our competency is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit produces life. We are not adequate for ministry if we're relying on the capabilities required by our cultural standards, where we apply our skills and knowledge to achieve outcomes with benchmarks and where we try and sell ourselves to an employer. Verse 5 tells us in Christian ministry we should not consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our competency is from God. The New King James Version says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. The key verse in uh, the Gospel of Mark is Mark 10.45. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You may remember that when Jesus uh, and his disciples were travelling, the men were arguing about who was better than the other. And Jesus stopped and he sat down, the scripture says, and he called the twelve over to him and he said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. It's New Year's Eve. Tomorrow is the start of a new year and for some people the beginning of a new year marks an opportunity to reflect on their life and to think about where they would like to be in the future. Usually these resolutions mean adopting new routines or habits to eliminate where the person has felt inadequate. So quite often they're scrumpled up and thrown in the bin, aren't they? However, having an altogether attitude keeps people from hearing the gospel. David Wells, a US professor of theology, says efforts to build character have been replaced by efforts to manage the way or manage the impression we make on others. Efforts to build character have been replaced by efforts to manage the impression we make on each other. We are to contrast our modern view of self-reliance with the life and teachings of Jesus. Each of us is to accept that God knows exactly what we are capable of. He knows our incompetencies. We read in Psalm 139 that we have been remarkably and wonderfully made. So God knows you. He knows you through and through. He made you who you are with your strengths and your weaknesses. Moses was hesitant to answer God's call because he felt inadequate and was slow of speech. Exodus 4, 10, we read, Moses said to the Lord, 
pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Well, Moses may have had the stammer, a speech defect maybe, but whatever the problem, he felt inadequate and told God that. And do you remember how God answered him? The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is not I the Lord? Now go. With all your deficiencies, go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God provided someone else, another voice for Moses, his brother Aaron, which enabled his appearances before, Mo, before Pharaoh. And that's where God also commissions Aaron for ministering alongside Moses. Jesus told us in Luke 12, verse 12, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say at the moment you need them. When we face our inadequacies, remember our competencies, Remember, it comes from God, God himself. He calls us to share our faith and he will provide and equip us for sharing the truth of gospel. Listen to his call. You can't say you don't have a call. Listen to his call on your life and answer as the child Samuel did when he called, when he was called, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I used to be involved in children's work many years ago. We used to sing a little chorus. He is able, he is able. I know he is able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. He healed the brokenhearted and set the captive free. He made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. He is able, he is able. I know he is able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you knowing who we are and you know who we are. You know us through and through, Lord. You know where we're unable to do things and you know how we can do things because you have equipped us. And so, Lord, help us to come to you daily to look into your word and be encouraged by what you have done in the lives of other people before us. And we do pray, Lord, that you would lead us into the future, into 2024, being equipped as we answer your call to ministry of sharing the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.